the New Testament reading is from the Epistle of James in the fifth chapter, beginning at verse 13 and continuing through verse 20. I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. Is anyone among you suffering? Of course not. Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. This morning's Old Testament reading is from the book of Numbers in the 11th chapter beginning at verse 10 and continuing through verse 15. Again, I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, all at the entrances of their tents. Then the Lord became very angry, and Moses was displeased. So Moses said to the Lord, Why have you treated your servant so badly? Why have I not found favor in your sight, that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Did I conceive all this people? Did I give birth to them that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a sucking child to the land that you promised on oath to their ancestors? Where am I to get meat to give to all these people? For they come weeping to me and say, give us meat to eat. I am not able to carry all this people alone for they are too heavy for me. If this is the way you are going to treat me, put me to death at once if I have found favor in your sight and do not let me see my misery. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. This morning's Old Testament reading is from the book of Numbers, which is like the New Testament's book of Revelation, but for a different reason, a place where we as good Presbyterians don't often tread. The bulk of this book's ch chapters are, after all, devoted to a, a cross between a census and a genealogy. It's rather dry stuff to postmodern Christians and others with short attention spans. 
Yet within its pages, there are some other stories being told that go beyond the names and make the account more personal. And such is the case with these verses found here in the 11th chapter. But as was the case with last week's preaching text from James, these verses are not to be found in our revised common lectionary. Here too, once again, the editors of that often helpful collection of scriptural texts took their exacto knives and cut a piece out of this narrative that I can only suppose they took some issue with. To be fair, taken together, these six verses don't paint all that flattering a picture of Moses. The great hero of the Hebrew Exodus falls a bit flat here. Instead of cutting for us this Cecil B. DeMille leading man from first scene to final take every once in a while, Scripture shows us another facet of this complex human being that exists beneath the Charlton Heston made in Hollywood caricature that was and is the preferred one-dimensional hero of the Bible, the one that we pay to see on the silver screen, the same one that we romanticize in our Sunday school lessons and all too often in our sermons. God, I am so done with this. While you or I may have thought this or something like it at one time or another, it just somehow doesn't seem to square with the notion that we have of Moses. It's out of place in the triumphant story of this Israelite leader who guided the people for 40 years of tempting and testing between Egypt and the Jordan. He was the glue that held it all together, and here he is falling apart. Maybe you know folks like Moses in your own lives. Many of you have that person in your workplace or in your extended family, a local nonprofit that I have been a part of since shortly arriving here on the shore, has had one of those people serving as its chairman for the last few years. And last week, he abruptly communicated his intent not to seek nor accept reappointment at the end of next month. That's when my phone started ringing. It was the nominating committee calling to plead with me to fill the gap. But people like this are unique. They are irreplaceable. And it's not on account of what they are, but it's on account of what they accomplish. Here's Moses. Poor guy. He's at wit's end. The people of God are in a mood. They've been provided sustenance in the middle of a desolate wilderness by this God who has promised forever to take care of their needs. But they have wants that are going unmet. Variety, it has been said, is the spice of life. And that is precisely what the Hebrews were craving. In the good old days, before our emancipation, 
when we were worked to death as slaves to Pharaoh, ah, yes, then, then we had all manner of food to tickle our taste buds. Out here, as free men and women, we have to suffer beneath the lash of a bland diet. Well, we are fed up with not being fed up with something other than this bread of God. There was a not-so-quiet riot taking place. We're not going to take it anymore. Can you hear us, Moses? Once again, yes, all too loud and clear is his response. This wasn't the first of the people's weepings, as this translation very kindly renders it. Since pretty much the start of the trek out of the territory of Egypt, murmurs of complaint and outright opposition have been repeatedly and sometimes quite stridently been raised. It may be said that the people of God hated change more than they hated anything else. It may also be said that the people of God still hate change more than they hate just about anything else. But that's another sermon. Moses has had to listen to a congregation of naysayers and whiners, a stubborn and stiff-necked people, some translators report. And here, in the 11th chapter of Numbers, he's having a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. His misfortune, though, is a blessing for us. For I think it is healthy for people to know that Moses was human. It's a remarkable thing that a person who has actual flaws and shortcomings has been called by God to do some pretty remarkable and amazing things. We know from earlier in the story of Moses that he got so indignant about the way a Hebrew was being treated by his Egyptian taskmaster, that he struck out at the offender with such zeal that he killed the man. We know that God will go on to expressly forbid murder when the tablets of the law are presented, but even at this point, hearers of the story would see at the very least that Moses has a temper. And now we also know that his patience with the people has been pushed to its limits as a parent or as a grandparent or as a great-grandparent. I would wager to guess that it may be for you as it is for me somewhat comforting to hear such an account as this. I can remember my Christian education professor in seminary teaching about children's and youth ministry and comparing it to child rearing, saying that we don't have to be perfect parents or grandparents or great-grandparents. We just need to be good enough parents or grandparents or great-grandparents. Oh, and don't give up on our children or our grandchildren, or our great-grandchildren. 
So then, this story reveals to us something about Moses, even as it reminds us of something about ourselves. Now, really, any good yarn could do these things, take some personal trait or foible that we're aware of, and project it onto the protagonist. But what sets this text apart and what makes it so special is that it also then tells us something about God. And that is, after all, what this book, the Bible, is all about. These verses let us see that the Lord, the author and the embodiment of love, can also get angry with those whom he loves. The complaining of the Hebrews had reached beyond Moses. It had reached all the way to God, and neither Moses nor God are particularly pleased. But while Moses is set to give up and takes out his frustration to and even on God for getting him into this fine mess in the first place, God is not going to fold his Hebrew cards. He's not going to reshuffle and deal a new hand. Moses may be ready to declare bankruptcy here in chapter 11 of Numbers, but as his principal creditor, God is not about to agree to such a drastic restructuring. Like it or not, he's going to tell Moses, I'm not going to accept your resignation. You are staying on as chairman of the board in tough times as well as in high times. That's the way we've come to know life works, isn't it? Not many of us have led a a pain-free existence. We've all had our crosses to bear. But as people of God, we know of a Savior, one who has not only taken up his own cross, but who offers to help us with a burden of our own. Moses was more than ready to abandon his God-appointed work, but God wasn't about to let Moses drop it. And part of what that means for us, I think, is that we too know this God's a God who isn't about to start ignoring his people. God was with his servant Moses from the beginning, saving him from the infanticidal edict of Pharaoh, allowing him to grow up into the one who would be sent to address the very regime that had subjugated his people and had tried to kill him. This God would bring ruin on the Egyptians for their enslavements of the Hebrews until they relented and set the captives free. Even then, God would stand by and with his people. Throughout their exodus, he led them often with great effort, but he wasn't about to give up on them even when they grew tired of acting as the chosen people of God. Thus, Moses is not going to be allowed to throw in the towel, but is instead going to be thrown a lifeline. As he reaches out to God in exhaustion and exasperation, God is about to reach out to Moses with more help for his mission. Just as we read in our New Testament epistle this morning, and just as we were talking about in our Sunday school lesson this morning, that help is going to come 
from others in the community. It's going to come to Moses from the elders. Up to this point, Moses had been the chief cook and bottle washer for the Israelites in the wilderness. He may have been assisted in some things by his siblings, Miriam and Aaron, but most of the responsibility fell on Moses. And here in Numbers chapter 11, we see that responsibility taking a heavy toll on the man. But the same God that called him to this task is the same God who will strengthen him to see it through. And in this case, he will choose to do so by arranging for others in the company of the Hebrews to assist. As we talked about an hour ago, he is going to bestow spiritual gifts on others in the community to fill in the gaps for Moses. I have no doubt that those who would be named elders were just as deeply flawed, just as human as Moses was. But I also have no doubt that God would see to it that those whom he called to the position, he would also equip for the task and that he would accompany him all just as he did Moses throughout their lives' journeys. And that, my brothers and sisters in Christ, that is precisely the thought I believe God would have us leave here with today. No matter how heavy our burdens have become, no matter how difficult the days get to be, there is no quit. Oh yes, we may be ready to give up, tired, frustrated, even angry with God for another fine mess. But the God we know, the God we worship, the God we serve is the God who has made us, the God who has claimed us, the God who has redeemed us for himself. And not just on a temporary basis, but from everlasting to everlasting. For he is a God of salvation, not just in the future life to come, but also in the present life of crises and trials. We may be ready to say, God, I'm so done with this, yet we will never hear him say, my child, I'm so done with you. And for that, we may truly say, thanks be to God. And amen.